Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. So fire seems so naturally linked to humans and our planet, but just how long has it been around? Now humans have used fire to assist with making tools and for cooking food for a long time, but just how long is a really significant question. Is it 200 million years, or is it even double or triple that? Plus, when were the very first wildfires on Earth, and how can we possibly find traces of them? Thanks to computer games and television, we often think of progress in a scientific sense as a series of steps down a technological tree. First you invent fire, then you invent the wheel, and then maybe agriculture. The development of civilization isn't as clear as computer games would have you believe. But definitely one of the earliest things that humankind has developed is the harnessing of fire. But exactly when humankind did this, and if in fact humans at all were actually in the form we know it, when this happened is one of the big contentious points. Now, when we try and trace back the first signs of fire, well, it gets a bit murky. Now, scientists believe that ancient hominins, the group of includes our human ancestors and all of the extinct family members of the human race, gives a dating range of about a million years ago. And this is roughly around the transition point Homo habilis began to become Homo erectus. Now, this is an interesting period of time because while we were making that transition from being a tree-based species to a land-based standing upright-based species, a lot of things were happening. And researchers have a certain hypothesis, this working theory called the cooking hypothesis, and that, in fact, the harnessing of fire was actually really important for this evolutionary leap because the use of fire enabled us to stay warm, craft sophisticated and advanced tools, ward off predators, but also cook. And cooking was an important part because it not only eliminates pathogens and other diseases found inside food, but it actually really helps boost the efficiency of protein digestion and increases the nutritional value of food, or rather what our stomachs can processing and get out of it. So cooking food helps a lot and transforms the food in the way we should process and eat it. And this, of course, improves nutrition. Improving nutrition, improving your tools, make the species more successful and able to take more advanced leaps, which is exactly what we saw in the development of the ancient hominids. Now, when exactly this occurred and how this actually translates to the development of hominids is a bit difficult to use because visual identification techniques, looking at color changes or signs of cracking or what have you in tools or markings on the actual leftovers, for example, maybe some clay, some sediment around it. All of these techniques are visually based and are very difficult because you've got to have a sample that's well-preserved. And char and the embers and that, they don't last very long. They actually degrade pretty quickly and thus looking for them is difficult. So you're looking for like the byproduct or leftover remains. And using these like traditional visual-based methods, you can sort of get an estimation of fire being present around 200,000 years ago. Now, there are some sites which can push this number back to around 500,000 years ago, but really you can only see that at around five archaeological sites around the world. So fire may have been harnessed, but not necessarily widespread. Or perhaps it's more about how we study and identify those. And researchers like De Filippi Natalio 
from the Weissman Plant Environmental Science Department, along with Zainer Stepka, Ido Azuri, Lino Koska-Horwitz, Michael Kazan, have published in the Presidio National Academy of Sciences some extensive work done around the region of Western Galilee, because these researchers believe that they've found a very promising lead in the discovery of use of ancient fire. Now, where they were looking in particular is a site called the Evron Quarry, located in Western Galilee. It's an open-air archaeological site that was discovered around the 1970s. Now, during a series of excavations, archaeologists have dug down almost 14 metres in this particular region, and they found huge amounts of animal fossils and Paleolithic tools. Now, the interesting part about the tools that they've discovered is that these tools are between 800,000 and 1 million years old. Not only making it one of the oldest sites in Israel, it's one of the oldest sites in the world. Now, the important part about this is it's the identification of the use of tools. And we know that hominids have been using tools for a long time, lines up with this theory. But the other part about this is whether or not there's any evidence of actual harnessing of fire to go along with these tools. And that's where these researchers turn to a new experiment. And if these researchers' hypothesis is correct, it adds a sixth site for this over 500,000 year old plus use of fire. Now, what these researchers were really focusing on is trying to identify a new type of technique that could be used to study all of these tool samples that they saw. So trying to study and look at the tools to figure out if they've been exposed to fire is basically the idea. And the challenge is there that there, a lot of the visual-based techniques don't actually render well or actually preserve well over time. Now, often researchers will look for visual identification using seeing altered sediments or looking at markings on the bowl, bones themselves. Can you see soil reddening, discolorations, lids of pots, warping, cracking, shrinking, darkening, calcination? All these kind of things you see only when something is exposed deliberately to heat. So that's what you would expect if some clay or for a plate or a pot had been left near a fire. Or maybe a tool mark, fire exposed to bone would also lead to changes to the bone. Now, if you see that in a lot of sites in deliberate settings, then it's unlikely to be caused by, say, a lightning strike or a wildfire. So it's these kind of things that archaeological researchers look for. But the problem is that these can often degrade pretty quickly and make it very difficult to track. The researchers developed a method by doing spectroscopic analysis based on what they call Raman spectroscopy, and they threw in some deep learning to go along with it. Now specifically, what they're looking at is in all the samples that they take from all these tools, they were looking for some missing particular wavelengths, a peak or spike around 630 microcentimeters. Now this peak only normally occurs in an area with irreversible heat-induced hydroelection. And this means effectively something has heated up this bone's mineral crust and structure at around 600 degrees Celsius. And you can't normally get this any other way. It's very deliberate heating, which leads to a crystallization transformation. The result of this process actually leads to a telltale type peak in a certain wavelength. Now, if you look at that, you can actually identify and study that wavelength by doing this spectral analysis. So basically, if you heat a bone, you will see a certain wavelength become more prominent than others. And if you study a whole bunch of samples, you can pick out that wavelength. And if they looked at lots of samples, around 87 or so of 
bones and tusks, you can look for ones that have this present wavelength and others that do. And they come in various colors, suggesting that the color is not actually contributing to this wavelength change or peak, but rather actually exposure potentially to fire. So in these 87 remains, they discovered that a lot of them actually had the extinct elephant tusks undergone some kind of structural change as a response from heating. Now, okay, it's not necessarily a smoking gun, so to speak, but it is a very interesting technique applied to actually aging and identifying bones, whether or not they've been exposed to fire. Now, the interesting part about those bones themselves is that would give us a date around 800,000 years ago, way earlier than other periods of time. And at that site, as I said before, you have a range of tools and ages there, ranging from 800,000 to 1 million years ago. Now, this technique is new and needs to be proven with further research, but it shows that maybe some of the places we've been looking before, there might be evidence or in other locations, new locations of older tool usage of fire. We just haven't known how to best look for it. What we do know today is that fire became widespread used as a tool around 200,000 years ago. But certainly in some parts of the world, that may have been happening much, much earlier, at least twice as early as we think, anywhere upwards from 500,000 all the way up to potentially 800,000 years ago. This is an incredible piece of discovery because it helps us understand the evolution of our species, as well as the development and use of tools like fire. This research was published in the Proceeding of the National Academy of Sciences with lead author Zan Stepka and a list of collaborators. when humans, or hominids at least, first used fire on Earth. But it's even probably harder to answer the question of when there was f the first large-scale wildfires on Earth, because the answer is actually quite tricky, and for several really good reasons. Researchers like Glasspool and Robert Castaldo have been just diving into this in a recent paper published in the journal Geology. And why they're really thinking about this topic is that in order to have a wildfire on Earth, you need a lot of really tricky conditions. First, you need something to burn. Now, actually having something to burn on the surface of the Earth is something that seems obvious, like maybe it'll just burn grass or plants or whatever. Maybe they're not dinosaurs or people, but something will burn. The reality is, though, many millions or even a billion years ago, on the actual surface of the Earth, there wasn't that much. And we'll get into exactly what was there in a little bit. So first you need something to burn. Then the other thing you need is actually an atmosphere which would enable a fire to spread. Obviously, there'd be enough oxygen normally for some combustion to occur, perhaps from a lightning strike from a storm. Now that's fine, but to actually get a wildfire, you actually need enough oxygen to sustain and feed that fire. And if you know anything about the development of the history of the Earth, you'll know that oxygen concentration levels weren't always as high as they are today. And we have plants and life in order to thank for that. Again, coming back to that things to burn question. So actually trying to look for early evidence of fire is really fascinating. Now, most research sort of places that date around 400 million years ago, some charcoal evidence, and some samples from 
all over the world, but some recent work by Glasspool and Gestalto actually pushed that date out a further additional 10 million years earlier. And what they were looking for here is some examples of some charcoal produced around 430 million years ago. They noted in this study is as soon as there were fuel, large plant macrofossils, that was all that was needed for there basically to be enough fuel to burn. And so as soon as you start seeing large plant fossils, at least that's what we've seen so far in the fossil record, you find evidence of wildfires happening immediately afterwards. Now, let's talk about development of plants here on Earth. So fuel for these fires is really important. So what was there to actually burn? Now, around 430 million years ago, you wouldn't have seen trees, you wouldn't have seen grasses, and certainly not complex flowers that required pollination. No, no. What you would have probably seen was lichens and moss. A lot of plants that are flat-lying, barely 25 centimeters tall or less, that would have covered majority of the arable landscape. Now, maybe you would have seen the occasional waist-height or knee-high plant, but it would have been very rare. So what else would have been there on the ground? Actually, there would have been a hell of a lot of fungus. Because, okay, the fossils of plants we have only date back around 800 million years ago. But for fungus, we can get over a billion years ago. And that is a pretty amazing thing to think about. Because around that period of time, there would have been really large what's called prototaxites. Now, prototaxite, if you think about an alien tree, this is probably what you've seen in computer games, but that's basically what we had here on Earth. Now, a prototaxite is a really undistinct shape. I'm just having a, a simple erect trunk heading upwards with four to five club-stake terminal branches with lots of wrinkles on the ends of them. Not leaves, but just a lot of wrinkles and bumps. Again, this thing was a piece of fungus, actually probably more like a colony of fungus, and could have a trunk around a meter in diameter and nine meters tall. That's what we've seen in a couple of fossil records and samples. These prototaxites are amazing when you think about it. Dominating the early Earth's landscape, towering out of it, especially when you compare that to regular plants, which would have just been barely getting off the surface. Now, the thing is, in this period on Earth, the Silurian, when we would have had these different types of plants available, all of these plants would have been really dependent on water for their reproduction. And so they probably wouldn't have been found in too many seasonally dry areas. So the Silurian landscape probably had just enough vegetation scattered across it. So while fungus had been dominating the surface of the planet for around a billion years, it wasn't until around 430 million years ago that actually we had enough other plant life there to sustain the fire. Now, the other part about the Silurian is that the oxygen concentration sort of reached around 21% of the gas in the atmosphere. Now, this is a pretty important level because in the early Earth, it was basically zero oxygen, and that is not capable of actually sustaining fire. Now, it's very difficult to actually get a wildfire occurring if oxygen concentration levels drop below 16%. So if you can get up to 21% in the early Silurian, that's enough for fire to sustain. And if you have enough macrofossils around, then you'll actually have enough fuel for them to burn. So, okay, maybe the fungi got a bit charred, but also there was enough plant-like and lichen-like material there on the ground to sort of conduct a large fire. So the researchers did just that. They looked for charcoal samples from this Silurian period, and that's what they basically found in this Polish and English records. And based on the charcoal they analyzed in this study, there was sufficient oxygen concentration, and probably actually above 20%, 
which is probably way more than enough to actually sustain a large wildfire. And they would have actually had enough size and mass there to sustain it, and they could see lots of charring. So probably from the Silurian onwards, you would have seen wildfires actually occurring in our Earth. Now that's important because wildfires do a lot for sediment movement and carbon and phosphorus cycling. They turn things over, they change things up, they break it down, and then they can get remade and re-chowed down by the creatures around it. So for many plant life cycles, wildfires and burning is, a, is an important part of the regeneration. And we can see that happening from around 430 million years ago. Now before that, they probably didn't have the ideal conditions to conduct and spread a large-scale fire. So, it's one of the fascinating things to think about the development of the history of Earth. Not only do we have to wait a long time for animals and creatures and dinosaurs and whatever to arrive, large vertebrates on the land, we also have to wait an awful long time even just for plants and things that come along with them, like wildfires. This is a great pub published in the journal Geology with Ian Glasspool and Robert Gestalto as authors. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. From the history of fire here on Earth, from human hands and tool making, or maybe even hominids, to the very first fires on the surface of our planet. Our ending theme was composed by Audionatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia. <laughs>